What's going down, Smackheads? It's the Maniac Matt Tedden here. The archive episode of the Union Smack podcast you're about to listen to was recorded on October the 1st, 2019, and as always contains subjects and news items no longer relevant to the present day. Also, forgive the dodgy recording. It it was our early days. We didn't still didn't really know what we were doing. Um, but you can still hear me, just. But thankfully, we've got better equipment now. We know what we're doing now. Touch wood. So sit back, enjoy, and we'll see you all on the other side. Cheerio, mates. What's going on, guys? Welcome back. Union Smack arrives once again, retro style this time around. But as always, before we get down to the brass tacks, my co-host, my man, my tag team partner right here, Maniac Matt Tedden. What's going on, man? Where have you where where have you been? How have you been? Where can everyone catch you? <laughs> I've been very well. Funny should ask that because I've been everywhere these last few I know years. you're like, where's Waldo? But go ahead. That's it. I've been from Cardiff to Manchester, down to London, back home, and back down to London, and just every fucking way you could imagine. Um, you can catch me on the road, seemingly, but if not, you can catch me on Twitter at the Perfect Tenant. You can buy our official merchandise: the official Kabuki TMD shirt, the official Union Smack shirt, the official Reset Button shirt, Tenant Talk shirt, Union Smack shirt from our online shop, unionsmack.bigcartel.com. Very good, very good. And yeah, fucking Ric Flair over here hitting up all the territories, making his shots. You've been to Wembley Stadium in the past two weeks, man. You really have. He's, he's a journeyman these days. Yeah, not out of want, but yeah. for the love of money, Travis. Well, speaking of out of want, we wanted to check out King of the Ring 93 for a retro review this time, Matt. A completely opposite from our last retro review. Um, from ECW. Thank you guys for checking that out. Were you thankful this was the one we picked before we get to any of it coming out of it? I mean, for some of it I was. For, you know, to talk about the, the Bret Hart stuff, yes. For the rest of it, not really. That's pretty goddamn fair assessment. You really can't argue that. This was the Bret Hart show. The Bret Hart coming... Like, he had been champion before this, but I feel like this was truly his coming out story. This yeah. one show. Um, before we get to the King of the Ring 93, WWE just crowned its newest King of the Ring. I know you haven't been watching forever. It was Chad Gable and Baron Corbin, obviously Baron Corbin going down. I don't like the decision. I feel like they should have gone with Gable. Do something with him, for Christ's sakes. Why not try to make a modern era Kurt Angle? Even though you haven't watched it, do you like that the, it was Gable that got the push all the way? And what, what's your reaction to Baron Corbin coming out of this? Speaking of just, all the talent in this tournament, and they went with Corbin is a little, and I get it, to push a dickhead heel, but Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I agree with the Chad Gable thing. You know, I think he's laid dormant for too long. Um, Baron Corbin, on the other hand, I mean, the King of the Ring title is made for heels. You know, traditionally to take that, you know, the king thing and use it. Yeah. Um, but <clears throat> they were better heels to choose than Baron Corbin. You got Samoa Joe, whose character, and I don't like to say that people have been buried a lot or damaged goods. He's been damaged fucking goods since his time on the main roster. Every big match scenario, he's been a loser, Matt. Yeah. Could have really used the crown. Well, I, I, I'm sure. I mean, we have no faith in the main roster right now, but I'm sure to give Baron Corbin that crown, they've probably got something in store for him over the next X amount of months. Mm. I'm sure they have. I'm sure they've not just gone, do you know what would piss everybody off if we just give it to Baron Corbin? Well, I'm riveted, let me tell you. I cannot wait to see where... We are a year from now with Baron Corbin. The King of the Ring tournament itself, though, Matt, a lot of people think that this was the first one. No, 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 no. They've been doing this a long time. This is the first one to ever be uh, pay-per-view, closed circuit, any of that stuff. It originally started in, what, like, 85? And they were, like, they were to help sell house shows. They were always on house shows for the most part. That's it. And you you had kings like um, Tito Santana. Uh, Did Don Morocco win one? He did. I'm pretty sure he did, yeah. Uh, Ted DiBiase, he won one. 
Bret Hart won it in 91 when it was just a house show still. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was going quite a while and obviously popular enough to to make into a pay-per-view. And it's something you never really heard about in our youth on WWF TV until I feel like Harley Race came around and they started kind of co-siding that title when Harley Race won it into television angles. And then it would go on to like Jim Duggan, obviously the Macho King, which was God. I think nobody till the end of time will ever take the King. And you think about it, Matt, the King gimmick in itself. One person got away with the Jerry Lawler just because it was like the 70s, but it's a really cheesy gimmick. But the spin that Macho Man put on it was legendary. I love the little touches yeah. he put on it. Yeah, I agree. I think outside of Lawler, probably Savage was the best. Duggan had to be the worst. Got King Duggan, that was hideous. It's up there with uh, up there with Barbarian <laughs> Sheamus for me. Yeah, I mean, did, did you not like King Booker? Yeah, but this, I, I think everybody liked King Booker for all the wrong reasons. I feel like it was booked at first to be taken. As a as a as a nasty heel, but it was he did it so parody just style of it. it. I don't think it was intentional at first, but how could you not help but find the humor in Booker T doing a King gimmick? You know, it's how did they not see that coming? It's true, but um, it's so crazy that you know Bret Hart won the King of the Ring in '91, and nowhere on this show, and it's not a spoiler because everyone knows Bret Hart won the King of the Ring tournament on this show. It was never mentioned he was a former King of the Ring. Was it not? I, do you know what? I swear, right at the end, just before Jerry Lawler attacked, spoilers everywhere, Jim Ross said he's a two-time King of the Ring. I didn't get that on mine. Maybe I just didn't catch that. I didn't pay I mean, attention. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm very, very tired right now. So <sighs> every possibility I'm, I'm imagining it. Or I dreamt it up somewhere, but... Even I'm if they sure said that, wouldn't they still be wrong? Because he only won it once, right? <laughs> I think after he won it here. Oh, yeah. Like, as, as he was going up, it was like, Bret Hart's a two-time King of the Ring winner. I'm not sure whether they mentioned the year he, he won it first, but I'm sure. See, now I'm going to have to go back and watch the end of it again, just to make sure I'm, I'm not... Not going insane. Yeah, Working yourself into a stupor. Um, yeah. This this show took place on the heels of um, WrestleMania Nine, one of the worst WrestleManias of all time, one of the worst eras, uh, my opinion, probably yours too. WWF of all time, yeah. fair to say. Yep. Um. I mean, apart from '95, yeah. Yeah, '95 was worse. I feel like way worse than '93. You're just you're just never gonna let that go, are you? Just like. No. Doesn't matter what happens, how bad it gets. It's like Travis is always gonna be like. There was always 95. There's yeah, always 95. That's got to be a shirt on the store someday. There's always 95. We're not going to go through or review any of them because I don't think, unless they happen on Raw and you have a, a Rain Man type memory, some of the qualifying matches, I'm just going to run down the list. Bret Hart, um, excuse me, says he got a buy. I have no clue who his opponent was. No, no, I mean, I'll be honest, I didn't go that deep into it, Travis. Yeah, but uh, just yeah. anyone's curiosity, I'll just I'll just gloss over it. Razor Ramon over Tito Santana, Mister Perfect over Doink, which I think that was that legendary angle on Raw you love so much, right? I did. It was what was. You have to go back and watch them if you can find them. They're really good matches. Like, don't expect anything wonderful, like NXT type. But Henning carried Doink to some really really good fucking matches. Just never going to let it go. I feel like I have to, I owe it to myself after doing this with you for so long and hearing about this feud, I have to go back and watch it in all its glory. It's on the network. I need to just do it. Do it. Do it. But now I feel like I've built it up so much, you're just going to watch it and then you're going to be like, ah, it was shit. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of building something up and something being great, the next match, if I was running the wrestling school, this match, this qualifying match that took place in 93 would be my, one of my criteria. Kamala and Mr. Hughes. Mr. Hughes going over to qualify for the King of the Ring. Good God Almighty. It doesn't get any sweeter. We got Jim Duggan and Papa Shango. Jim Duggan went over Papa Shango here. Bam Bam Bigelow going over Typhoon. Bob Backlund and Lex Luger. Obviously, Lexi got the win there. And Tatanka 
and the giant Gonzalez. Tonk advancing by DQ in a whole two minutes and 59 seconds, Matt. Like I said, we're not going to review them, but good God. If some of those would have been on this pay-per-view, I don't think we'd be so cool calling a collective right now. No, can, uh, I mean, you know, I moan to you that Luger and Tatanka went 15 minutes, but can you imagine if it had been fucking Gonzalez and Tatanka instead? I think his knees would have gave out at the 10-minute mark, at least. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> Absolutely no way you could have done that. Let's get down to the goodness, though. This show, thankfully, there was a dark match, Matt. Papa Shango defeating Owen Hart for the USWA World Heavyweight title. Unify. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to have seen it, as I said to you before we came on air, but I'm sure it's there somewhere, hidden in, you know, WWE's archives. Maybe it'll pop up on the hidden gem section in the network someday. Who knows? That'd be great. I'd check it out. <laughs> Fun fact about this show, so ironic, was not planned. This show, in 1993, in Dayton, Ohio, at the Nutter Center, took place in the exact same venue, you ready, as our last retro review, ECW Heat Wave 98. We talked a little about, a bit about off-air. How insane is that, that this is the same building and just how different the atmospheres were? And it was only, that's how fast the business had moved in five years. Yeah, yeah. I mean night and day and it? it's like like I said to you before we came I mean 93 was just oh just getting into a sort of wrestling boom and then 98 was just like tits pussy ass give me anything you've got yeah <laughs> uh meat the greatest wrestler of all time <laughs> just, that was so wrong I, I'm just like listing off these fucking things and you just go Oh, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Your commentary team for this show was a high-pitched Jim Ross, which is always weird to go back. You're, you're the same commentary team from WrestleMania 9. Bobby Heenan and Randy Savage, Jim yeah. Ross, calling the action. Um, I never liked the pairing, and I didn't like it here again either. Sorry. I think I think they had um, technical issues, I've heard, in the years since this. Like, they couldn't hear each other over their heads. And they weren't quite sure when. I mean, yeah, like sitting next to you, just look at his face when to know when he's finished talking. But yeah, seemingly they didn't do that. But you know, <laughs> it was what it was. Was what it was. In my opinion, Randy Savage is, is like one of the prototypes of what a pro wrestler should be. But color commentary was probably his worst trait he ever had. He was never good at it, and was just so macho man about it. And and I get it. They would do that with Piper, put him on color commentary. See, when they did it with Mr. Perfect, Mr. Perfect kind of went into it. I don't want to say with a touch of class, but kind of knowing what is taking his character and gimmick and blending it into that color commentator job. Not just cutting fucking promos for three hours. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know but um, it is what it is. Um, I don't think it took away from on the show. I will say it's crazy that their debut as an announced team was at WrestleMania 9, and somehow they had less chemistry on this show than their debut is still weird. Oh, God. Your opening match, though, Matt. Just Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. I've just, just, realized it's going to be one of the nights. The carry on. It always is when we go retro, my friend. But this show Matt kicked off with... Picked off with Bret Hart versus Razor Ramon. First, was it? Yeah, first round. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what the name is. Not qualified. Just the first round King of the Ring match. Quarterfinal yeah. match. This was a, uh, a rematch. Was it quarterfinals? Quarter because I'm sure they said first round match. First round match. Excuse me the hell am i thinking it is one of those nights this was a rematch from royal rumble 93 when uh you know razor chased the title i like that match a little bit better but that's only because it was given a little bit more time i i don't really have any problems with this match i felt like it told a good little man big man story the only qualms i have with this match is i feel like the finish kind of came out of nowhere it kind of felt like the ref was telling him to get their shit in due to time and it kind of didn't make sense in a way, especially with the smaller Brett getting a win like that over the much, you know, obviously physically bigger Razor. But pretty much a goddamn flawless David versus Goliath type match. It's it's straight up stand. I would throw this on any Bret Hart compilation DVD, um, even though I feel like they had a better match before. But it was fine. Yeah, yeah, it was. And what I got from this, sorry, <coughs> what I got from this was Scott Hall was a very underrated heel. 
Dre's Ramon. I know he didn't get a whole lot of time before they turned him face. Um, I think, was it just after Survivor Series? Because I know he was babyface going into the Royal Rumble 94. Um, he turned babyface right around, I want to say, June 93-ish, a little bit after he lost to the kid, because then he went immediately into a feud with Teddy Biasi, and they had a match at SummerSlam 93. Oh, that, that's right, yeah. Do you know what I'm thinking of Survivor Series 92? Oh, uh, like, yeah. Like I said, I'm very tired. I'm very tired. It's all so, good. Yeah, he, didn't get, like, he didn't get a whole lot of time as a, a heel, but like work, working like this against Bret Hart, you, you get to see like he was actually a really good fucking... Literally a really good bad guy. Yeah. And that's not a fun I've been waiting to get out, even though it sounds like it. <laughs> so, yeah, great match. Very good technically. Um, I think maybe this went less than the Raw Rumble match because Bret Hart was actually injured during this. His ankle was actually fucked. He had, and I was surprised to learn this, actually. He'd wrestled Bob Backlund the night before. I believe it was a Madison Square Garden. And he injured his ankle, you know, I think 30 minutes I went, just over. Wow. And it was said to be a really good match, much better than their Survivor Series 94 Ugh. thing. Snooze fest. <laughs> that match, I feel like yeah, that match was one big rest hold and zooming a camera in on Helen Hart. <laughs> that was pretty much it. it yeah. Chicken wig, Helen Hart not knowing how to react when the camera was in her face. No. Well, that makes sense then why it kind of felt rushed in a way. Um, I, yeah. I will say on what you're saying about Razor as a heel, I totally agree. I think Razor is, besides Randy Savage, maybe the first case in this company where it was the first cool heel. And it's by the time that, the you know, the spring of 93, one of the, you know, like, rolled around. Nobody wanted to boo this guy. What was there to boo? He was so likable just as a badass. And the way the crowd turned on Backlund at WrestleMania 9 and were literally chanting Razor, I think that was the, uh, the green light. But they they knew it. They had to turn a baby face. They didn't have a choice. Just imagine if they had like what he could have done as a heel. I, I think if he'd have stayed a heel, probably the world champion. And that's not to say he wasn't an incredible baby face, because I feel like he was. I feel like oh, he was a great baby face. Great face. I, I just think that speaks to the underrated talent that Scott Hall was. I feel like he he's one of those guys that are never really in that conversation that should be. Agreed. I, I think like uh, <clears throat> a Bret Hart raised Ramon feud for the title over a period of time, not just rushed onto a Raw Rumble show, would have done a lot of money. Dare I say it? I, I would have preferred if they would have built that all the way up to WrestleMania 9. Yeah. That would be so much fucking better. Ugh, so much better than what we got, but it's... Not getting any better for us. I'll do what's up next. First round action. Mr. Perfect and Mr. Motherfucking Hughes. The very first Mr. Hughes review on the show. Let's get down to it with Harvey. With Harvey Whippleman. Best part about this match for me was Mr. Perfect's entrance. When he got in the ring, did that awesome towel thing, and hit Mr. Hughes right in the fucking face. And he looked like an idiot. (laughs) Other than that, Jesus. I mean, yeah. Jesus, I think Perfect threw himself around the ring to make Hughes look better in this. That's all it was. Because let's be honest, it couldn't have made him look any worse. Um, but apart from that, if you don't have Kurt Henning on top form trying to make somebody who didn't belong in a ring look good, then this was just a bit bullshit. Don't get me like, wrong. When I was watching this, there were parts of it, and I was like, okay, here we go. But then I immediately realized this was just Kurt Henning dancing around the ring, making him look good. I was like, oh, yeah, it's not really – it's the mystique. You know what I mean? So and if, Kurt, if uh, Mr. Hughes had drawn a, a Kurt Henning on the night who just couldn't have been fucked, then he'd have been in so much trouble. Imagine if Hughes would have drawn Duggan. Dear God. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, he drew fucking Kamala in the qualifiers, so could that have been any worse? Actually, no. You're right. It couldn't have been any worse than that. <laughs> um, thoughts on this, Matt, for God's sake, for the most part? I mean, it, 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 it was a match to get perfect through to the next round to face Bret Hart. But apart from that, I mean, you know, avoid it like, avoid it like the homeless. 
This, this is not a match you would throw on a compilation, like I said, for Brett. This is something that should best be left forgotten in Mr. Perfect's career. This is also a weird time when they were really desperate to give Undertaker opponents and Harvey Whippleman's army of baddies to throw at Taker. Um, yeah. Just a weird time for Taker. Just a disappointing time, just wasted goods, just doing really nothing with him. And it was like every monster or new heel they brought in just ended up doing jack shit anyway. Every one of them. Yeah, yeah that's true. And do you know what you can read more about that, Travis? I've got a good idea. You can read more about that in my book, The Undertaker, Trip Down Death Valley, available now from completelynovel.com and amazon.co.uk. Cheap plugs, I love it. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's go up next. I See, I feel like my memory's bad too a little bit. I feel like when we were DMing, you didn't hate this match as much as I feel like you should have, or did I just completely imagine that? No, no, you didn't. I, I, I didn't mind this match because I, I, th- I feel like every Duggan match we've reviewed so far on Union Smack has just been Duggan winning. I, I can't remember, like, a European Rampage or, or a very early <coughs> retro review we've done where Duggan's actually lost. Mm-hmm. Say what you um, want. Uh, he's a very, very... He's a comedy wrestler, the gimmick and all that shit, but he was very strongly pushed in the late 80s, early 90s. He very ever rarely lost on TV clean. Exactly. So this came as a breath of fresh air. But yeah, it's another Duggan match. And yeah, he looks like a big bag of shit dressed up. (laughs) You know, they they put that top on him because they could no longer stand to see his fat guts hanging out. But (laughs) at the same time, it's like, this got Bigelow over. You know, it was designed to make Bam Bam look like a, a dick. By beating the American hero. So I, I, I enjoyed the way Bigelow went about it. I didn't so much enjoy the match or the layout. I enjoyed how short it was. But I always enjoy watching Bam Bam Bigelow, regardless of whether it's against Duggan or some of the other hideous opponents he had. That, that is the one sentiment we can both take away from this match review and agree on, because this match just only drove home the fact more when I say that I still feel like, come at me, Bam Bam Bigelow is the greatest big man of all time. Because in this match, yeah. he, Bam Bam worked this kind of like Henning had to do for Hughes. And to see a bigger man kind of try to get the best out of someone and be a ring general and kind of... This match wasn't dog shit. The finish was complete dog shit. I hated this finish so much. It was so fucking lame. But that little, oh, I slipped and my head fell and hit the goddamn turnbuckle or whatever, and that's it, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, <clears throat> that is true. But at the same time, I think that made Bigelow look an even bigger dick, which is what they were going for. It's like he took advantage of um, a, you know, a mistake, and he's used that to his advantage to basically go through to the final after what we'd see in the last of these first round matches. Um, yeah. yeah, Bigelow carried Duggan to arguably one of his best matches in years. He'd have to go back a very long way, maybe to Mid-South to find the, the Hacksaw-Jim Duggan match that you actually enjoyed. Yeah. Yep. I completely agree. Um, Bam Bam Bigelow would be on the show later on in a much better capacity. We'll actually get to actually review a good Bam Bam match later on. So have no fear. Yes. Up next, the, the, now the hate gets flipped to the other side. Lex Luger, the narcissist gimmick, right before he went made in the USA Lex. This is Lex. Uh, this was kind of a last-ditch effort uh, for a, a heel Lex push. It just, I feel like the character was just kind of stagnant in a way. If they, I feel like if... Bobby Heenan unveiled him, and I know Bobby Heenan was retired at the time. But if Bobby kind of would have, I feel like, been his manager at ringside, I feel like it would have got, the push would have gotten over a little bit more, possibly. Yeah, it couldn't have hurt to have Heenan as his full-time manager. But I met Luger as a narcissist. Rotten. Like, honestly, for me, that character in the ring was more rotten than any of Luger's early WCW and like NWA stuff. Oh, completely. Like, I've so seen Lex have some kick-ass matches in NWA back in the day, you know? Exactly. And then he, he, he put the cape on him and it's just, it's repugnant to watch. 
I, I don't feel like Lex had Lex can be a cocky heel, but he had like his glass ceiling and his limit that he could do with that. The, a much more flamboyant person was needed for this gimmick. I feel like than Lex. Yeah. He could yes, the look was incredible, and he had the body the body for the gimmick, but the million dollar body, ten cent brain, brother. It was the kind of that deal, you know. Yeah, and he lacked complete charisma, but it's like he can flex in the mirror and he can you know, he can pump the biceps or whatever, but when it comes down to it there was absolutely no charisma about Lex Luger whatsoever. And that just goes to show why it proves that Bobby Heenan is still the greatest manager of all time because he, no pun intended, would have been the brain to that body had he been allowed to be a ringside like he did for, even though Rick Rude was good in the mic, he added so much more to Rick Rude. I shudder to think where Rick yeah, Rude would have yeah. been if he was just a solo guy. Even though WCW Rick Rude was pretty decent. I love that Rick Rude, you know. Yeah, I agree. And Joe, you know this narcissist, like, I don't know whether you've seen the the TV series The Boys on Amazon. No. But you've not seen it. I have not. Have you read any of the comics? I have not. I tell you, you, you must watch it. And that goes for anyone listening to this who hasn't. But there's a character in it called uh, Homelander. He's sort of a sleazy superhero, but he's not really a superhero. So I won't ruin it for you, but as soon as I saw this, because I watched it recently on Amazon, and Lex Luger completely reminds me of, of that character. And if you watch it, you, you, you'll see it. Nice. I do remember the episode of Superman back in the day where Lex Luger was on there. Do you remember that? No, I don't. Uh, well, see, where, we both where, have some homework, I guess. Where was I? Hmm? I said, where was this and where was I? How it's... did I miss Lex Luger on Superman? Yeah, it was back in like the late 90s He was he, when he was uh, in WCW. You have to check it out. He wow. donned the Superman outfit. Now, he was like an evil Superman or something. He wasn't Bizarro, but he was, I forget. You just Everyone check it. It's a must-see. You need to check it out. Let me tie the bow on that present, though. You ready for this? Ready for this segue? Should people check out this match, Matt? I'll give it to you. Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. 15 minute double disqualification. Uh, no, 15 minute time of, time of draw. draw. Sorry. Yeah. And of all the matches you could choose on this show to go to a time limit draw, and I know it was tough to get Big Lothman through to the final and make him look like this indomitable heel who had only wrestled six minutes throughout the entire night against a, a baby face who had gone 30 minutes, etc., etc. But of all the matches you could have placed in this spot, you had to put Lex Luger, one of the most boring men of 1993, and Tatonka, one of the most boring wrestlers of any generation. Ooh. I love him, don't get me wrong. You know, he probably should have had the Intercontinental title, as we've had said many times. But that still didn't stop him being uh, in the ring. Was he boring, or was the 1983 Indian character gimmick boring? That's a good question. I think the, the character didn't help him, but I also don't think he was the most enigmatic man in the ring. When he was against Bigelow, yep, absolutely fine. But this this was a feud that transferred into 94 when Tatonka turned heel on Lex Luger. I'm glad you brought that up because I was literally about to say, I thought Tatonka was a better heel when he was in the corporation. Come at me. Yeah, I agree. He was, he was, a, he was a saccharine baby face, but when they turned him heel, it was like... Now there's some interest, because you've got Ted DiBiase there. Yeah. There's one thing I always hate about Tatanka matches. I can't help it. He suffers from Ahmed Johnson syndrome. He gets that fucking shit up his ass crack. And thank God for that little flapping cloth that covers it up for the most part. Especially like 96 Tatanka. He always had a wedgie. I hated it. I love that we're, <clears throat> we're reviewing rest. Travis is just looking at their ass. So... You know what? You watch an Ahmed Johnson match and you try to ignore the eternal wedgie in that man's ass. Well, we fucking can't now, can we? I mentioned it. No, we can't. 
Everyone's going to be looking. I'm just trying to take your mind off this match. I'm trying to do you a favor because I didn't hate this match as much as match did. I thought it was it wasn't great. It wasn't anything to like write a fucking love letter about, but it was sustainable. I don't think it should have been the match to get the Broadway. I definitely wanted to tap out by eight fucking minutes. Don't get me wrong, but I've seen both men have way worse matches. I, but you're right. The narcissist character was so dull and just so fucking boring. And I, I think it was the 1983 Indian character gimmick that made Tatanka boring. I totally agree with what you said on that. Just two boring fucking guys, not really any direction for either, which is... I mean, Lex would get the rocket strapped to his back in literally a month after this, but at this time, it was kind of baffling that they had nothing for Lex, you know, out of either one of them. Yeah, yeah I agree. And you know what? Can I just say, it's like, I wouldn't have hated this had it been ten minutes shorter. Like, the, the final stretch, was it was fine, you know, them working towards the time limit draw, but could this not have been a five-minute double count-out or a five-minute double disqualification? Yeah. Exactly. If it's yeah, just going to be a schmoz anyway, to, then yeah. Exactly. There were other ways to get to this <laughs> this outcome than making us sit through 15 minutes of it. You know, the underrated MVP of this pay-per-view, who we failed to mention, the crowd, you know, say what you want, they've been behind every match so far. They were into this for 15 minutes. They're firmly behind Tatanka. They even stuck through Mr. Hughes' match, man. They're all about Mr. Perfect. This crowd, pretty much this whole show was solid. I feel like they really, they they got stagnant and died off around, like, Shawn Michaels and Crush, but we'll get to that later. Um, up next. <laughs> by the way, this this time limit draw gave Bam Bam Bigelow a bye all the way to the end of the road. So it was kind of predictable. It was either going to be perfect or Brett. You kind of knew as a kid. Speaking of those two guys, before this, one of my favorite goddamn Mr. Perfect Bret Hart promos with Mean Gene Oakland backstage. I, I've seen so many YouTube like joke videos about this promo. What a shit stir Mean Gene Oakland is, huh? He totally provoked both of these these innocent baby faces into this. They did nothing. He just kept stirring the goddamn pot. And I like that. I, I wish we could see more of that Mean Gene over the years. Yeah. This was like Fall Brawl 2000 Mean Gene. Like, didn't give a fuck Mean Gene. <laughs> this is Mean Gene who just wanted to go home. These, uh, these interviews had obviously been recorded weeks in advance by every fucking other 90s pay-per-view mm -hmm. on that small set had, and it was just like, end of a long day. Just entertain yourself and then I can go home. They've been stuck at Titan Towers for eight goddamn hours cutting promos all day. It's the end of the day. Gene's ready to drink. <laughs> but either, if no one's seen this promo, there's no way matter I could do it justice. Um, basically, it's just both guys saying how, yeah, they can't wait to have a competitive match. And Mr. Perfect kind of getting a shot in with IOU for SummerSlam, whatever. but it was me and Gene just comparing their fathers and whose family's better just out of nowhere. And then it just got both guys pissed off and by the end of it. Gene did a great job of making both these motherfuckers want to kill each other. And I feel like I've seen a shoot interview with Gene where he talked about this promo where both guy, neither guy really had either, you know, a lot to say because they didn't want to hurt the other guy's baby face. So he kind of went off on his own and made this promo work for each guy, which is awesome. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's so Gene. I feel like he did that for the majority of his career with guys. Can you, but can you imagine how cringy this would have been like, if it had gone to that length and that effort to, get some out of them and they just still stood there they just yeah there's nothing like yeah my dad was pretty good and just nothing that would have been ugh but they, they, they just come they just come off as being doing being a right dickhead uh, dare I say this was the best match on this show Matt I mean it, uh, do you know what I preferred Bret Hart versus Bam Bam Bigelow and I know a lot of people don't and I know a lot of people are going to even if you've not seen it, you're going to go, Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect, it must have been amazing. I don't get it. It was very, very good. I I did see a particular website gave it five stars. No I way. I not go that far. No. Now, SummerSlam 91. <laughs> If you want to break, if you want to talk SummerSlam 91, then yeah, I would give SummerSlam 91 total five stars of these two. That match, for me, the, these two guys, real quick, at SummerSlam 91, that was my and my brother, Mike, who's, you know, Slam Pigs, at the time, that was our, 
a lot of guys say they would rewatch Savage and Steamboat over and over, memorize the moves with their siblings. Dude, that was our Savage Steamboat that match. We had that match memorized. We would just do the moves in our, in my in my room and shit. But I feel like that totally made this match impossible to follow it, and I think it suffered from it. Yeah, it did. It suffered because obviously because Bret Hart's fault and because he, he had another lengthy match to go that night. Yeah. Maybe if this had been the first round match, like they could then give it twenty five minutes and cut to Tom Luger down by ten. Yeah. I'd have, I'd have preferred that, <laughs> but uh, I'd, I'd say a solid three point five stars, but definitely not five. And obviously they got more time in the later rounds, and this match got eighteen minutes. Um, spot of the match for this for me is that classic Brett spot where he's on the apron and uh, Kurt kind of slingshot of him onto the guardrail outside, yeah. and that looked nasty. Yeah, I, I remember days of doing something like that for a table later on. Mm-hmm. The finish to this was... Uh, real quick, before we get to the finish and stuff, I feel like WWF, between the promo with Gene and this match, the commentary team, they did they overhyped it too much. They talked about what a classic it was going to be too much. And I feel like any time you do that, you take a hell of a risk and making a match fall flat on its ass. And I'm not saying this fell flat on its ass, but that was another hurdle it had to overcome besides their previous match was them just keep glossing over how great it was going to be and stick around. This is going to be the greatest match of all time. I can't wait. Well, we get it. Can we watch the fucking match and let the match do the talking for itself kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I, I, I think it, it would have looked better had they not talked it up so much. Maybe, you know. Less is more kind of thing to it. Um, I mean, both guys, I feel like... Go ahead, Matt. I'm just going to say, I think Henning had already peaked anyway. It's like, it was... Obviously, he was having back troubles, and it was like, he'd peaked earlier in 93. For me, like, Kurt Henning... The end of Kurt Henning's career, and I know he went on to WCW, and I don't remember much of his WCW run. Maybe he had some great matches there. Yeah. He, he was kind of sh- he was kind of a shell of his former self. It's fair to say, you know. Yeah, but for me, he peaked in '93 in that match against Ric Flair. I like, agree. That was it. And, and he physically peaked, and I feel like the babyface character had kind of come full circle because by the end of this match, I feel like he was working full heel. Yeah, yeah. That's certainly uh, the feeling you get from. As great as Kurt Henning was, always a better heel than a babyface, and just the gimmick yeah. of being I'm I'm perfect, did nothing about it as babyface, and it, it had to be hard as shit to get that gimmick over and work as a babyface, but somehow he did it, so tip of the hat. Yeah, absolutely. But that's that. The finish to this match that I was getting back to was, I, I don't really remember another finish like this, and it's kind of a weird finish, and in a way... Momentum wise and all that shit, just reality, it doesn't make sense. It was a small package reversed into a small package. How does that work? <laughs> yeah. I have no idea, but I've just realized, and I've literally just realized this Bret Hart's, all Bret Hart's victories were Luke. But he didn't win with one match with a sharp shoot or a solid pinfall. They were all reversing something into a either a small package or inside cradle or a crossbody. Yeah. Okay. It's a shame. Well, I don't think it's a shame. I think it's brilliant because it was a tournament. And it, for multiple matches, he's not going to go out there and hit the sharpshooter every time. Like, physically, the story you're telling, like, he would have to eke out, especially considering the finals is, like, a guy, like, 100 pounds heavier than him, you know? I, I get it, I guess, in that, that aspect of why... Oh, yeah. So I, I get it in the first two rounds again, because like the aim is to get to the final, and then you deal with what's going to come then. So you take any victory, however it comes, that's fine. But I just think it has been a bit more triumphant for Brett. We'll obviously get into the match in a bit. Has he he done? He got through Razor. He got through Perfect any way he could, and then he just had that heroic moment of making Bigelow tap out to the sharpshooter. In the final. See, I would have done it reverse. I would, if, if I was going to do a sharpshooter finish in this, I would have done it first round while it was the freshest. I feel like that would have made the most sense. 
Plus, plus, it's the third match oh, of the night, and, and the one guy you get the sharpshooter on is the super heavyweight. I don't know. Uh, for, for me, that would have made him look more heroic. Like, he wasn't going to go to the final and take any victory. Like, anyway. Yeah, I could see he that. Gonna, he, you know what I mean? Yeah, he, he was going to win it with the one move that bought in there, and he wasn't going to take the easy route out. And if anything, pro wrestling has taught us over the decades is that you could always use the adrenaline rush as an excuse to do anything, basically. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Um, Bret Hart gets the win here, advancing to the finals. Now, Bam Bam Bigelow and Bret Hart is your 93 King of the Ring finals. Up next, one of the most oh, dreaded matches I've ever had the displeasure of getting ready to review on this channel and this show. Yokozuna. Hulk Hogan, WWF Heavyweight Championship match. Before this, we get a little promo with uh, Hogan, Jimmy Hart, the whole fucking shebang, the carnival. My God, I hated babyface Jimmy Hart. I hated this version of Hogan. It was done. It was, the bloom was totally off the rose. Fair to say. I don't think anyone can argue that. There's been so much said about just this little period between WrestleMania 9 and King of the Ring 93. There's nothing we can say that no one else has said, but I can flat out say, and I know you agree, this Hogan title run, in general, was 100% political bullshit. Yeah, completely agree. <laughs> completely agree. And I'm one of the biggest, even with all the, the scandals, I'm still, as I can't ignore my childhood, I'm one of the biggest Hogan fans ever. This was always, even as a youth, my least favorite period of Hulkamania. Hands down. And that's talking Dungeon of Doom, all that shit. Because he was handed the belt, basically. Yeah. From a, a baby face I liked as a kid. It's not like he was handed the belt from fucking, you know, somebody that sucked. It was Brett. We were ready for a change, even as kids in 93. And just, just it, it, when they did this with Hogan, it, it was the first time I feel like, Matt, I ever remember being a wrestling fan where I feel like we're going backwards with the booking ever was this. Yeah. Well, we go forwards from, you know, Hogan to Flair to eventually Flair putting Bret Hart over and, you know, doing what Hogan arguably never did in the early 90s, which is put the future over, willingly at least. And then you just go back to, to how it was, uh, giving Hogan what he wanted. Well, nobody got what they wanted that watched this match. This match was terrible. This was not a match I would show anyone that would want to check out Yokozuna or Hogan. And Yokozuna was capable of pulling off some good shit with the right guy, as we've seen talking about Brett again. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, this was a travesty. It really was. And I hate that you had to use my name to describe it, but maybe maybe it's what I deserve. It's karma over the years. <laughs> um, for, think of it like that, but very good. Was there any redeeming qualities about this match to you in all seriousness um i mean the, the, the finish all the way stand out to me yeah like, even, even as a kid it was like wow like they did that to hulk hogan but the, the, the thing that stands out most to me is that hogan i'm gonna assume knew he was off the wcw by this point yeah so he knew he wasn't staying with wwf he, 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 he would be gone by the end of August, I, I believe. I know he had a few uh, house show matches against Hulk Hogan and was even on the European Rampage Tour where he beat Yokozuna by disqualification. That was his last match. I do know that in WWF. Mm -hmm. But, like, he's off. He's going to a different company for much more money. He's going to be the, the star there. He was in WWF in the 90s and yet still still couldn't find it in himself to put the future generation over clean yeah like that, I think that's the one thing that stands out to me about this but you couldn't do the job for Yokozuna and then just leave I think Vince is just as much, if not more, to blame than Hawk because ratings were in the shit since Hawk left. He didn't trust yet. He didn't trust Bretts and Sean's yet to be past the torch. So this was kind of as soon as he got fucking Hogan back in early '93, he couldn't wait to get that belt because he was desperate. He didn't know what else to do because he just rested on his laurels. Yeah, do you know what? There is a part of that 
But at the same time, it's like Hulk Hogan had sway. Oh, well, yeah. Even though he was going. I'm not saying he's just Mr. Innocent. Or, oh, I didn't want the belt, brother. Exactly. Oh, yeah. you wanted the belt, he, brother. Like, he could have gone to Vince and said, look, I'm probably Vince knew as well he was going. It's like, if I put him over clean, if he hits me with a bandai drop and pins me in the middle of the ring, you're going to have a new legitimate heel who you can trust, who fans will absolutely despise, and then you can build him for Bret Hart for WrestleMania to get that massive feel-good moment. But in reality, how it really went down backstage was, look, man, I'm here, I'm hanging and banging, I'm in shape. You got this big lush out there, dude. What kind of look is that for me, man? Dude's fat as shit, brother. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I agree. Uh, Yoko should have totally got the rub. And I don't feel like Yoko ever really got a legit rub. He always won by chicken shit, cheating tactics, or he looked like a fucking idiot, like when he fell off the rope against Brett, or he lost by DQ against Lex. It's amazing how how people look back fondly with Yokozuna, even though I like Yokozuna, but they don't really think of the details of how he was booked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, had this man been booked like a absolute fucking unstoppable monster for a year then I think I could have forgiven the falling off the ropes at Wrestlemania if he'd have won every match like clean and dominant like he did to Jim Duggan on the episode of Superstars where they had to carry Duggan out on the stretcher right a little bit before this like a month or two before that and they were getting it at first they were getting it with Yoko they knew exactly what the fuck they were doing it was just like whoops well fuck it that's it (laughs) We might want to slip, we might as well just carry on the fuck up. Literal slip. The Undertaker tried. The Undertaker tried, like, at the Raw Rumble, made Yokozuna look like a a real fucking prick, but like a, you know what I mean, a, a, yeah. a master manipulator at the same time. Even over Bret Hart, <laughs> I would say nobody, nobody ever got more out of Yokozuna than Undertaker, ever. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. But how hard is it to take that and just do it all the time? I, I know people will probably say, well, that would be overexposure or predictable having him do it all the time. And it's like, yeah, it's, sometimes it would be, but then you've got to think of the bigger picture. Yes. But if you build him, you build him like that, like every pay-per-view or every other week he wrestles, there you've got someone at WrestleMania who looks unbeatable, who has beaten Lex Luger. And do you know what? If they'd have done that at SummerSlam, I know it would have killed Lex Luger's heat. But at the same time, they, they, they're as good as, you know, murdered Luger's chances of making it anyway. As, lo- as long as Brett was a singles babyface in that company, Lex Luger would have never stood a chance either way. Because the fans always yeah, preferred Brett over Lex, as we would see at the Rumble. So, so instead of, you know, having Luger win at SummerSlam by count out, just, just have him pin Luger clean. I would have done, you know, if if, that, if the if your one main goal is to have Bret Hart look like a fucking giant killer and hero at WrestleMania 10, then you book Yoko from King of the, well, no, before King of the Ring, from WrestleMania to WrestleMania, as this just can't beat him. Hogan can't beat him. Luger can't beat him. Undertaker can't beat him. He's took out the top three. <coughs> Sorry. He's took out the top three baby faces in the company. And now it's left to this one smaller man to stop this big fucking giant from just taking over. And that it's re- is the story yeah. that would have just fucking set Wrestlemania 10 off perfectly. And it's really sad looking back. The legacy Yokozuna ended like two years later losing in four minutes to Vader in a squash match at In Your House. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I don't want to remember that Yokozuna. Yeah. The sound of way. It is. It's very, and who's, who's to say if they would have booked his heel character stronger, maybe they could have saved his life in a way because they would have given him more an incentive to work out and stay healthy if they're giving him good shit to work with and not just sneak off to McDonald's and be on these weight loss programs all the time and be punished. Who knows? Yeah. It is yeah, sad. This, 
This match is really sad. This was no more than a standard goddamn live at MSG 80s Hogan match with the super goddamn monster heel, boring fucking wrestles. Yoko trying to do what Bam Bam did with Duggan, but Yoko being 200 pounds heavier, not, it's not quite working as much. Plus, it's Hogan in 93. Jimmy Hart doing his cringeworthy babyface shit. Jimmy Hart as a babyface always sucked, like I said. This match sucks, avoided like a plague. We all know Matt was talking about the finish. The, uh, the random photographer jumped up, and he's distracted, brother, and shoots flame. I mean, I'll give him that. That looked good. It went right in Hulk's face. It looked a lot better than when he did it against Warrior at Halloween Havoc. I'll say that. That was the finish, and you yeah. never really seen that as a kid. That was kind of shocking. It was also shocking again. Hulk Hogan lost. And this is – the streak <laughs> continues. This is how much of a goddamn wrestling nerd I am. When Hogan lost to The Undertaker to Virus Series 91, every time Hogan lost clean or whatever and lost the title, there was always that Hulk Hogan impersonator fan at ringside. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, Matt, but he was on this show at ringside, looked just like Hulk Hogan, and every time that guy was at a show, Hogan lost. How does that guy feel? That guy is probably the saddest, most depressed guy in the world. Like, what luck. Yeah, every time he turned up, you know, I was like, for fuck's sake, not going to catch a break. We're not going to catch a break either, because up next, it wasn't much better. Eight-man tag match. You would think on paper this would be somewhat decent. I didn't like this match. It was given no fucking time. It didn't need to be on this show, to be honest. The smoking guns and the Steiners against the head shrinkers and Money, Inc. Getting the win. What did you think of this match? Piss break, wasn't it? It's like, literally, it couldn't have gone more than five minutes. No, it went six minutes and 49 seconds in an eight-man fucking oh, tag team go. match. A tiny bit more than five minutes, but uh, Stein has got nothing in. Literally almost nothing in. It was all smoking guns. Yeah. What a fucking waste. There's the smoking guns coming out party right here, just like Brett on the show. Coming out party makes it sound like... That's not what I meant. Adrian Street's not going to manage the smoking guns. This match was no way to showcase any of the eight guys on this. And for what it's worth, all four teams, uh, the smoking guns probably being the least, all really good teams for their time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What I didn't like is that this had no bearing on SummerSlam to come. Had this been the Heavenly Bodies, and they brought them in a little bit earlier, and Bunny Inc. versus the Steiners and the smoking guns, they could have built the Steiners versus the Heavenly Bodies out of that. Yeah. Or they could have built the Smoking Guns versus Money Inc. for SummerSlam instead of having DiBiase go single against Razor. Or even the Headshrinkers versus... The, you see where I'm going with this, Travis. Yeah. But no, this was just a random match that meant nothing in the long run. And this could have main-evented Raw the next night had it been given 20 minutes, but just not on this show. Exactly, and I honestly, I don't really have anything else to say about it. It was a standard house show match, just with less time. I think that's a fair assumption, <laughs> to be honest. Um, I loved Kona Crush as a kid. I don't know why. I thought his music was awesome. Um, I, my family did not order this pay-per-view at the time. And as a kid, I always wondered why Crush never got a title shot. I was a little fuzzy in my memory on this. He got his title shot, and I never knew it as a kid. Shawn Michaels versus Crush for the Intercontinental title, Matt. Yeah. Um, I will say, I mean, this wasn't the shit like you'd probably think it would be if you've never seen it and just, you know, heard the match. Crush versus Shawn Michaels. It wasn't wonderful. They had a better match at um, <clears throat> European Rampage 93. Which, my turn to cheap plug it, you can check out right here on this channel. There you go. This was, I think this was just a means to an end. You know, to get the doinks back out there with Crush and mm. make sure Michaels looks strong by outsmarting, if you like, the bigger baby face. Yeah. It did a job, Travis. Did a job. I mean, it was a match. <laughs> this is obviously Shawn Michaels' first singles title run. Um, this was also like a month after Diesel debuted as his bodyguard, uh, dumping the Luna Vachon thing. We all know how that worked out for the best, I would say. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Michaels just come out the Marty Gennetti thing as well, where they dragged the title back and forth. 
yes, one of the best matches, maybe the best match of the year in that company on Raw in 93. Yeah. Yeah, dude, check that out. Forget this shit. Check that out instead. <laughs> I think it's very obvious that Randy Savage was in real life friends with both Diesel and Crush because he put, put both of these guys over more in this match than any other two guys on this entire show. And I've seen over the years he would travel with Diesel and Crush sometimes and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, he out for them both. As he should. I mean, look at Diesel, for Christ's sakes. You want to get why he's the boss. It's kind of like with Jazzy Gabbard now. I think Nigel does a pretty good job of getting Jazzy over on commentary. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll get into Junior and Jazzy Gabbard on our NXT UK on the bus, which will be coming in the next week or so. Yep. Thought. Look for that, how Jazzy Gabbard's being booked like a big old puss. Uh, we'll get there. Um... Yeah, this match wasn't awful or really bad, or just, it was just kind of yeah. This, this would have been on like a Coliseum video or something, you know. Yeah, it held the show up. I found more than added to it. I will say that crowd once again they really wanted some crush in this match. They wanted crush drenched in gold. They didn't get it. I could never say that happening. It is weird to think Not of crush with a belt, you know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Uh, didn't, is it my imagination, Travis, am I hallucinating again? Or did Crush win the tag team titles with Yokozuna? No, he, I was actually at King of the Ring 94, uh, where they got their shot. I, I'm just, I'm sitting here picturing heel Crush with the tag team title. And I don't know why. They had a they had a little feud with the head shrinkers in uh, like the spring of '94. They had a little program on Raw in that King of the Ring match, but they never won the belts. See, I don't know why it's entered my head. Now, now, now I'm questioning the whole did Jim Ross allude to Bret Hart? <laughs> well, I mean, technically, you're right. They were in a title program for like two months, so you're kind of right. You didn't totally imagine it. They just never won them. And that's that. Shawn Michaels gets the win. How weird is it also to see Shawn Michaels' finisher back then uh, be the backdrop? Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's like you completely forget he, he didn't always use switching music. Mm -hmm. We've almost done it, it man. We, he, uh, sort of did in, he, he sort of did in this match, though. It was like he sort of hit switching music to the back of Crush's head and then rolled him up. Right. I, I feel like this was the first time that was ever really used as a way out of a match. Before that, it was always kind of just like a kick. Like the Rockers would do it at the same time, or Sean would just do it in the middle of a match for no reason. It, was, it wasn't even yeah. a signature or setup move. It was just, a, and they would call it, what, a crescent kick for years. Yeah. How fucking generic is that? I don't know. At least with the Rougeos, they would say Savat kick, make it fancy sounding. Um <laughs> That's that. Sean moves on. Crush will never see the light of day in the Intercontinental Total picture again. And obviously by SummerSlam 93, which we reviewed again, she plug on the channel. Check it out if you haven't. Sean and Mr. Perfect are at SummerSlam, uh, his next feud. Main event time. It is the end of the road we've done it, Matt. We're almost out of the woods. To crown the 1993 King of the Ring. King of the Ring finals match. Brett the Hitman Hart, Bam Bam Bigelow in the finals the only reason this wasn't match of the night for me because there was a fantastic match on the uh, 2005 Bret Hart DVD these two guys had in Spain, which I like a lot more than this yes. match. Yes. Yes, I love that match. Yes. I, that would be the match that, I, even though I would say check this match out, but that one on that DVD, if somehow, some way you guys can check it out, check that one out because it's, I don't know, it, it, it was given a, probably a little less time, but just somehow the match was worth, probably because they, Brett was fresh, probably helped. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mate. I, I don't know, I just, I just, I think that match is a standalone, the Spain one, yes, but I think this match, mixed in with the perfect match and the Ramon match, I just think it, it makes for a better story, you know, you can tell Bret Hart's winded, you can tell he's injured, but it, it's just the refuse to give in, you know, yeah. possibly, and you, you disagree with me if you like, I know Sean, Michaels's performance at Survivor Series 2003 would probably rank up there as well. But for me, this would probably be the best solo performance of any wrestler. 
I think the best I part never. the best part about it is even Brett said I think on that DVD is he had three matches on this night and each one told a completely different story. Yeah. Except yeah. for the way he won and the finishes, that little that little, you know, sneaking out of victory thing. Besides that, I mean only, that's the only thing I've changed. Just to beat Big Low with the sharpshooter in the end, just to put a nice little full stop on it. Even though this was completely predictable, because who really thought Bam Bam was going to win? The crowd was still behind this yeah. every step of the way. There wasn't a person in this building that didn't want Brett. Then, like we said a million times already, this made Brett, if anything, the most historic part of this pay-per-view, even over the Hogan thing, is the coming out party of Bret Hart. Like I said, this match, probably second best match tonight for me. I'm not going to totally discredit, but it was good. It was just, it was just prime Brett, man. It was just another classic example of why he's one of the greatest of all time. And there, there you have it. King of the Ring 93, he did it. The most noteworthy thing coming out of this, though, it wasn't, he wasn't attacked by Bam. It was the coronation ceremony, Matt. Yeah, the Jerry Lawler attack, um, which, I, which I hear actually, again, injured Bret Hart. He had trouble breathing for a few weeks afterwards because Lawler actually struck him by accident in the throat. There was actually some uh, legit heat between the shout out to Bruce Prichard podcast taught me that Brett had Brett was a little salty over this because Lawler knew apparently that he was injured going into it yeah, and was given strict orders to, you know, make it look good, but don't, you know, and Lawler wasn't the most loved guy in the company at this time when he first came in either probably didn't do him any favors. <sighs> but do you know what? It led to a, I don't know. We've reviewed <coughs> SummerSlam 93. Yeah. I, I'm still a bit, iffy on their match then but the one that always sticks out to me is obviously the kiss my foot match the kiss my foot match the best part of king of the ring 95 <clears throat> if anything the feud was better just the jabs he had on brett's parents like we said in the review it wasn't really the end ring that was the shining star of this feud but uh, i feel like there was worse feuds they could have acted coming out of this i mean lawler was new he he was he was known he was a household name because the andy kaufman stuff it, it was kind of one of those and we were a little too young but i'm sure for older fans at the time that were in, like in the insider and the sheets. This is kind of a dream match, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, had they been given more, and like, I, I, I think had the, the silly angles not played a part, like the Jerry Lawler signing injury at SummerSlam and yeah, getting Bret Hart to wrestle Doink, etc. Had they just gone out there, had one good thirty-minute match, then people would have looked at this feud and gone. Probably one of the best feuds of all time. It didn't overstay its welcome. It wasn't massively long either. But there was a, a great, solid wrestling match in the middle that just, you can look back on and say, that was a brilliant feud. As it was, it was a good feud. It entertained me as a kid. Yeah. But apart from looking back on it now, it's like, could have been so much better. And it never, it took two years to get the payoff, but I feel like that's only because of that, the scandal, because Lawler had to leave the company because of the allegations of the underage girl. That's why Shawn Michaels replaced him in Survivor Series. It never really got a full payoff, but I feel like in a way it kind of benefited, so you had to wait an extra year. And sorry, my dogs are fighting upstairs. Maybe that made the Kiss My Foot match ending a little bit better, just because you had to wait a little bit. And sometimes, like you said, that wait is better. The ends justify the means. Even though the, the means were getting released because of a sex allegation. That's totally not what I'm trying... You know what I mean. <laughs> I know what you mean. Matt, it's late for you. I know you got to get your sleeps and your winks in here and get recharge your batteries. What do you give King of the Ring 93 the first time, pal, we were live on pay-per-view with the coronation and all that? I would... I'm going to give it a B-. minus. Without Bret Hart, it would have been a solid day. I'm going to give it a C, just a straight-up C. I feel like without the Brett stuff, that's I, – I, I couldn't not have that in the back of my head watching, just, just thinking, what if this didn't have Brett and how awful it would have been? And I feel like as good as the Brett stuff was, it wasn't enough to give it a B even because there was just some shit you had to sit through on this. And one of the worst Hogan matches and angles of all time didn't help. And just – I don't know, man. Not a good feeling coming out of this one. And I don't know where we're going next with our retro review, Travis, but fucking can we make it better than this one? I feel like we do we owe it to ourselves. I'm just going to wing it right here. I'm going to give us, since it's coming up soon. You ready, Matt? Yeah. 
just popped in my head. Bad Blood 97, the first ever Hell in a Cell match for our next one. That's a good call. There so it is. I've been up 21 hours, and I think that's the first time that I've been genuinely happy. So. <laughs> there you go. Well, obviously, you got to get some sleep before you do. One more time, where can everyone, where have you been? <laughs> where can everyone catch you? <laughs> you can catch me um, asleep most of tomorrow. <laughs> no, you can catch me on Twitter at The Perfect Tenant. You can buy our merchandise, the official Hibiki TMD shirt, Union Smack shirt, Reset Button shirt, Tenant Talks t-shirt, Union Smack, all the fame t-shirt. We've got so much now. Mm-hmm. Travis, we've got so much to haul. On our official shop, unionsmack.bigcartel.com. It's crazy to think where we were two and a half years ago and to think all this stuff we have to fit in now is insane. Always a pleasure. As always on Twitter at the Hibiki TMD. That little red button, do it. Hit it down below for all the goodness. Retro gaming and pro wrestling. Power Rangers Month is almost over. We got a little, few more surprises coming up with Matt and some other things. Until then, Matt named all the stuff. I don't need to do it again. This was King of the Ring 93. We are crowned. We are royal. We are coronated, pal. Next time, Union Smack. Cheerio, mates. <laughs>